Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Good morning, Vertical Church. It was June 1865. 18 people were gathered in a room for a new ministry opportunity. The names of those in the room, John and Ann Stevenson, George Stott, James Joseph Meadows, and they were gathered by a, a man who had a passion to begin a new gospel work and who had been praying for the last 12 months that God would raise up 24 willing and skilled laborers to help him in this new work. That man's name was Hudson Taylor. And those 18 people in the room became what would be called the China Inland Mission. Today, there are an estimated 150 million believers in China of whom almost all can trace their spiritual heritage back to the 18 people in the room with Hudson Taylor. If God can save 150 million Christians, starting with 18 in 1865, what might God be pleased to do starting with us today? That was how I began the first interest meeting of Vertical Church six years ago. God willing, we're going to spend the whole spring going line by line through the book of Philippians. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to do a three-week mini-series about where we've come from as a church, where we are, and where we're going next. Uh, the series is called Over the River and Through the Woods. Did anyone else sing this song when you were a little kid? Whenever you go to grandma's house, we'd pile in the van and we'd sing, over the river and through the... We weren't even homeschooled. We were just <laughs> lame like that. The phrase comes from an 1844 poem by Lydia Maria Child. It speaks to the path, the route, the distance between where we've come from, where we are, and where we're going next. Let me ask this. Do you know where you've been personally? Do you know from where you've come to reach this place here this morning. See, I think most of us spend almost all of our attention, certainly all of our emotion, just here in the present, just surviving the present. If we have any mental margin, maybe you'll think a little bit about the future, but almost none of us spend a lot of energy or focus remembering the past, and that's why we're so anxious, y'all. That's why we're so afraid. That's why we don't have that concrete courage in our bones of what God is doing in our lives. This week I looked back through 13 years of journaling. I'm not a super consistent journaler, but I do do it once in a while. And do you know what I saw, what happened as I looked at 13 years of journals, just little notes? The Lord lifted me out of my present anxieties and gave me the gift of perspective. I realize that all the things I'm feeling today are all the things I've been feeling all the days that I've been walking with Jesus. It doesn't matter what year that thing's dated at. I've been feeling the same thing the whole time. Oh, there's this, this thing. I'm really anxious about this. Lord, can I trust you with this? This kind of feels like it's the final thing that's going to do you in. Help me here. Worrying about this. And as I just scanned the pages, I realized, hey, the things that were things in 2018 aren't things today, praise God. The things that were things in 2019 aren't things today, praise God. 
And the things that are things in 2024 will not be things in 2025. Praise God. You see, guys, when we remember how the Lord has fought for us, how the Lord has carried us, we get fresh courage and confidence and conviction that he's going to fight for us and carry us through anything. The big idea this morning is remembrance of past grace gives confidence for future grace. And the Lord's going to speak through that, or speak that uh, through Deuteronomy chapter 1. Open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Thanks for flexing last weekend, guys. I was in the hospital for a couple nights with appendicitis, which uh, then triggered shingles. Yes, I'm actually 85 years old. I learned this about myself. And I was doing pretty good, but then Zach invited me to bumper cars yesterday, and now I'm hurting again. I'm upset. Discharge never told me not to do bumper cars. I feel like I'm supposed to give them a call or something. But listen, I felt so bad for missing, and, and it was so dang encouraging that nobody cared in the best way. People were like, what do we need Chris for? We're here for God. Let's just pray. Let's just go grab God. Let's go grab a hold of him in prayer. And so thank you for just reminding me last week through texts that I'm loved, um, but more importantly, that this is a vertical church. This is a church about God, and y'all don't need me. Thank you for that. Have you found Deuteronomy 1? A couple people. Do we need to do the song? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Do you ever do the double? Deuteronomy. No? Okay. That's homeschool, yeah. I, I really am a public school kid, but... I know the song. Deuteronomy 1. In Deuteronomy 1, Moses is remembering when they got right to the edge of the land that God had promised them, and they all got too scared to go in. Do you remember that? They got right to the land, and they're like, oh, let's, uh, let's send some, some guys in. And so they send 12 men in, foreshadowing of the disciples, to go and spy the land out. And, and the spies go in after 40 days, more foreshadowing. They come back, and they're like, okay, first, awesome, huge grapes. Also, there's giants in there, and everyone except just freaks out. Do you remember that? Except Caleb and Joshua, who are like, giants? Are they bigger than God? Then put it on the list of who cares. But everyone else is like, okay, kids, back in the car. We're going back to Egypt. And so Moses is remembering when he saw everyone's fear, He saw everyone's anxiety, and he said to them what I believe God wants to say to each one of us this morning, Deuteronomy 1, beginning in verse 29, if you're there, say there. All right, let's lean in. Oh, listen to that sound. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself, notice this, Fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Guys, God wants to send us out of church today not afraid of anything. God wants to send us down those huge steps out front not afraid of anything. And the way we become unafraid as God's people right here is when we remember how God himself fought for you. If you're taking notes, write this down. Don't be afraid. God fought for you before. God will fight for you again. That's what Moses is telling the people. 
See it in verse 30. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt. Notice that when, when Moses wanted to pour concrete courage into their bones, he didn't just stay generic. He didn't just say, God fights for you. You'll win your battles. Why? Because when we need gospel grit, we need more than generic truths. Amen? When we need like gospel grit, we need real courage. Moses then points them back to a specific historical event. He says, don't you remember Egypt? Don't you remember that, you guys? When God sent all of those plagues just to mock the false gods of the Egyptians... Don't you remember when we felt totally cornered because we got down to the water's edge and they're coming and we don't know what to do and God opened it and let us walk out of slavery right into freedom. Don't you remember Egypt? Remember that. And look at verse 30. Don't you remember this? It was God himself. Anytime you see the word himself in your Bible, you circle that. He didn't outsource that. That wasn't some angel coming down and doing that. That was God himself. Don't you remember that? Child of God, if if you are anxious about your life right now, and so many of us are, who isn't actually? If you're afraid about something, you need more than generic. You need more than Caleb. You you, you need more than God will fight for you. He, He will help you through the storm. What you need is a specific historical event. Because you're walking through something real, you need to remember something real. And you need to remember that specific historical event when God himself fought for you and brought you out of slavery and lets you go into freedom through the Red Sea of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is how Paul encourages us. How how do I know that God is going to fight for you, Christian, this week? Like, how can I just know that on the authority of God's word? Because Colossians 2.13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God himself made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers. Can't you just hear Egypt in that? He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And the logic of Romans 8 is, and he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you hear that logic? He's, Paul's saying, the Holy Spirit is saying, come on, are you serious? Do you think that God would send the co-equal, co-eternal, infinitely precious son. Do you think he would leave the son hanging in AD 33 to leave you hanging in 2024? What logic does that make? The whole point and promise of the cross is that God won't leave you hanging. The whole point and promise is that God loves you so much that there is nothing in this universe and nothing outside of this universe that he won't spare in he himself fighting for you. 
That's the promise. Remembrance of past grace gives confidence in future grace. But now look at verse 31, because it wasn't just that God fought for them back in Egypt. We've, we've done some things since Egypt. See it. And in the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you, as a man carries his son, all the way that you went until you came to this place. Moses says, guys, don't be anxious, don't be afraid, because not only did you see God himself fight for you in Egypt, but you have seen, as we've walked through this wilderness, you've seen how the Lord has just carried us as a man carries his son all along the way until we've reached this place. If you're taking notes, don't be afraid. If God carried you before, he's going to keep carrying you again. After we remember and re-remember and re-remember and re-remember God himself fighting for us on the cross, God wants us to regularly remember how God has carried us through the various wildernesses. You remember how God brought you over the river, praise God, but do you remember how God has carried you through the woods? Biblically and historically, God's people are a storytelling people. When we're afraid, when we're anxious, we reach back and tell stories of God's faithfulness in the past. And so I am just going to spend the rest of this message remembering with you how the Lord has carried us as a church all along the way until we've reached this place. The day I entered the story of Vertical Church was July 7th, 2010. I was at a Young Life camp, and um, Jesus had just saved me. Though I had heard the gospel thousands of times, for the first time in my life, I cared. For the first time, because the Spirit had awakened my heart, I felt that I was a sinner in need of saving, and I believed that Jesus was my Savior who wanted to save Chris Osmus. And so I asked Jesus to forgive me, and I gave him my life, and the first impulse I had is the impulse that is in the heart of vertical church. Well, gosh, if God is real, if Jesus is real, and if Jesus will save anyone who will trust in him, then we got to tell everyone about this Jesus. Amen? And so after attending Bemidji State first semester, go Beavers, I transferred to Northwestern, and I began taking Bible classes and going to Bethlehem Baptist Church, where I sat under the preaching ministry of John Piper. And during those years, I started to develop a, a big God theology, a vision of God where God is the center of the universe, not Chris Osmus. Uh, my whole universe began to change as I saw right here in the Bible that, that it's not that I'm the center of the universe and God exists for me. On the contrary, God is the glorious center of the universe and we exist, I exist, to worship Him. That is the bedrock belief of Vertical Church. And so soon I began getting kind of passionate about this and, and I uh, wanted to try teaching it. And this week I found an entry after the first time I preached. It says this, Preached my first sermon today. Afterward, a man in his 80s came up to me and said, Son, my dad was a preacher. I've heard thousands of sermons in my life, and that one you just preached was up there with the best of them. 
Never underestimate what a word of encouragement can do. I don't know this man. Don't even remember what he looked like. But it's not an overstatement to say that that man confirmed my calling and helped set a trajectory for the rest of my life. In 2015, I felt uh, too young to preach. I just graduated at Northwestern, and so I became a, a worship pastor in Woodland Park, Colorado. But I found uh, an, an entry from December 15th, 2015. It's the first entry where I can see myself thinking about this church. It says, praying and thinking about planting a church in Minnesota, specifically St. Paul. I want to see all of those churches that choke to death on religion and tradition come back to life, come back to Jesus. Lord, will you ever call us to plant a church in St. Paul? To make a long story short, we started praying really intensely. If you go through my journals, every single page I'm thinking about you guys. What are we going to be like? How are we going to love each other? What are we going to, what's going to be our mission? Just praying, praying, praying. And, and we, of course, sought counsel with our elders and sought confirmation. And after two years, we finally sensed it was time to move back to Minnesota and to begin planting a church. My journal entry for moving day, our lanterns are lit. Sorry, this is cheesy, but it's how I journal. <laughs> our lanterns are lit our mounts are ready, and a rocky path through a forest awaits. As we step out the front door and into the world beyond, we're just going to hold tightly to your belt of truth and try to do our best to keep in step with your spirit. And when we trip, which we know we will, we trust that you will toss us upon your shoulders and carry us to safer ground. Come hell or high water, you will be with us until the end of the age. So we moved up to a little apartment in Roseville, and we started building what we called the core team. We, uh, we had this idea, like we had this list of friends and connections back in the Twin Cities, and we're like, oh man, if we want to plant it, they're going to be so hyped to join us. They're just going to flock to our church. And within like moving here after a week, we're like, the only one who's hyped on this church is my mom. <laughs> and... And, and my mom unexpectedly passed away the next month. So we had to take her off the list. And now we're down <laughs> to a Bible and a backpack. And from there, we just started to dig. We just started to get coffee with anyone who was willing to help us plant this church. And after three months, we were ready to have our very first interest meeting for Vertical Church. My journal from the morning after I'm so energized after last night's meeting, there were eight people in attendance. But more importantly, you were in attendance, Lord. May your presence always be what matters most. Vertical Church is built on four pillars, and the first one we really leaned into was the pillar of unaf unafraid witness. From the very beginning, we invited anyone and everyone because we believe that the gospel is not just good news, the gospel is good power. It is God's power onto salvation. It's how God saves people. And so from the beginning, we're just trying to get anyone and everyone here to hear God's gospel and have a chance of being saved. And uh, one of the very first things we did as a church family was cold calling. This is our history. 
we, uh, we just, we got, I don't know how we got the list, but we had a list of people who were living in the area, and we would call them and say, hey, we're starting a church, and would you want to join us? I hope you're Christian. And, and I remember we sent 500 individual emails, not like mass email, like took forever, and 125 phone calls, and one person came as a result. And again, we, I mean, this is our DNA. We, were, we would tell each other daily, hey, if only one person gets saved because of all of this, like if we, give, if we just go all in on this and only one person saves, won't it, won't it be eternally worth it? It'll be for that person. Will it be eternally worth it for us? Soon one turned two, two turned into four, and we started having these vision nights where I would just stand up and share the vision of Vertical Church. I'd just say, hey, here's a crazy idea. What if we made church about God again? What if we tried doing that? What, what, I mean, church can be about so many good things. How rare is it about the God thing? What, what if we made church a, a, a place where when people leave, they're not talking about the church? That's a crazy idea. What if when people leave Vertical Church, they're talking about God God's spirit, God's son, God's gospel, God's people. What if people, what if people leave talking about God? What it, and here's an even crazier idea. What if the main attraction of this church was God? What if we just totally shelved trying to attract people through social media and cool hoodies and hyped events and whatever else? And what if we just let God attract people to himself? What if we just were a church that so put God on display that the only reason people are coming is for God? I would just get up and share the vision of making church about God. And every week, just being honest, you guys, I was so terrified. I'm uh, my, I'm naturally more of a timid person, and so I just felt like I don't want to get up there and just like rah-rah people. And, and I was so scared, and I felt like I'm going to be so embarrassed because nobody's going to come, and everyone knows we're planting this church, and everyone's going to see me fail. And every week we would just drive over, and my wife would grab my hand, and she would say, Chris, you are God's man to lead tonight and someone will come. And every week someone came. I'd stand at the front doors, which is a terrifying place to stand, and just wait for someone to come. And around the corner, like, okay, here comes, oh my gosh, here comes someone, someone's coming. And people were just like inviting their coworkers, and so here comes U.S. Bank, Maplewood Branch, and here comes like all of Chick-fil-A, and like still in their red shirts, and, and here comes my cousin's cousin cousin, and here comes a homeless person, and actually that's a Bethel student, come on, come on, like, <laughs> cheap shot, but from the highways and the hedges, they came, and after nine months of these vision nights, God grew our core team, this was our goal, to 50 committed people. And our, our anthem was, God calls the few to do the much to bless, so that the many will be blessed. God calls the few to do the much, so the many will be blessed. 
And on September 23rd, 2018, Vertical Church held our first worship service. And it was just a celebration. Like 200 people came just to wish us well, to celebrate with us. My wife gave birth to our middle child like the week before, and she was leading Vertical Church on launch Sunday. I didn't make her do that, just making that clear. She wanted to do that. Because that's the vision, and that's the spirit of Vertical Church. Just kind of what's in the air here is, I don't want to sit on the sidelines. No way. I want to be in on this. I want to help move the, the vision forward. And so we, we just started leaning into the next pillar, which was unapologetic preaching. From, from day one, God just began making us a people of this book. We had this idea of, man, let's just let's make people carry their real Bibles to everything vertical church so that we never fall away from this book. Like, why does, how do people follow, how do churches fall away from the Lord? First, they fall away from this book. So let's just make sure that if it's a vertical thing, it's a book thing. And that's why if you go to any community group, any prayer meeting, any vertical church, anything, I'm not sure what you're going to find, just being honest. But I know one thing you'll find is an open Bible and a bunch of people around that open Bible. I remember one time we memorized all of Romans 8 together as a church, the entire chapter. And every week we'd have someone come up on stage, no Bible allowed, and recite by memory whatever they memorized up until the point we were at it. I know it sounds like spiritual abuse. It was volunteer, just making that clear. And um, I remember Jordan Cahey was one of the last people to go, and he just got up, planted both feet, and freaking shouted every word. You didn't miss a single word, and by the end of it, people are like standing up, high-fiving. Like, <laughs> it was amazing. Guys, that's who you are. You're the kind of church that high-fives each other over Romans chapter 8. That's our history. That, that's who we are as a church. And, and of course, as we just preached, I mean, if you say what God wants said, he will make sure people are in the room to hear it. And so as we just said what God wants said, we began to grow. And as we started to grow, we leaned into the next pillar, the pillar of unceasing prayer. From the beginning, I, I said, to see this city totally transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we don't need 5,000 people, we don't need 500 people, just give me 50 who will pray. We became a praying church from day one. When people ask, how did, ver how did you guys plant Vertical Church? I would say, first, God planted Vertical Church, and secondly, the main thing we did, I honestly, I attribute all of our success to everyone set on their phones an alarm for 10.02 a.m. Do you remember this? People are nodding their heads. We said 10.02 a.m., which was our cue to pray Luke 10.2. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. We just prayed that prayer at 10.02 every single day, and the Lord answered it. We were a praying church. I remember one time a pastor preached uh, in my place because I was out of town, and afterwards I asked him, like, dude, how is it? And he's like, man, it was awesome, but it was also kind of weird because I showed up, and I really had to go to the bathroom. And so I'm asking people, like, where's the bathroom? So I went to the worship team, and they were praying, so I didn't want to interrupt them. So then I went to the welcome team, and they were praying, so I didn't want to, well, and then I went to Vertical Kids, and they were praying, and your entire church just prays. 
And through those prayers, God carried us. He carried us through 2019. He carried us through 2020 and the nonsense that that was. And then soon we got word that this building, the one we're in right now, was for sale. And at the time, we were able to get approved for $600,000 to buy a building. This building's worth, I don't know, three or four million dollars. And um, the children's theater who owned it, because of all the 2020 stuff, they were going under. And so I went to them and I just said, how much is left on your mortgage? We'll take it. And they said, $800,000, which is awesome. But it means we've got to raise $200,000, which might as well be $200 million for this church. And so what did we do? We, do what we did what we always do. We prayed. We asked people just to gather outside the building and just ask God. And then we sent support letters. I wrote up letters, just like you're going on a mission trip, and I asked people, uh, I've never heard of this before, um, just send this to your family members and see if they want to like, help us and join us in this. And everyone did it. Like They sent out letters to their cousins and their grandmas and their friends. And, and every week, we'd get, we'd cry as letters come in from Aunt Karen, $20. You guys got this. It's funny because a lot of the, the relatives would, would write their name on it as they're known in the family. So Grandma Nene sends <laughs> $1,500. But the best part was were all the sticky notes. You got this. God's going to do this. We're praying for you. My Bible study is praying for you. Letter after letter, guys, those letters were God carrying us. And amazingly, God raised $180,000. Insane. But we were still $20,000 short. So I just, I remember it's the last day. We're 20 grand short. I get on the floor. I just cry out to the Lord. And this is the stuff you just cannot forget as a church. That afternoon, my childhood pastor, uh, at least a pastor who pastored in my town growing up, I hadn't talked to him for over 10 years, calls me out of the blue randomly and says, hey, there's an elderly couple in my, family, in, in my church. They heard about what you guys are doing and they're wondering how much you have left. And I said, $20,000. And he said, tell your church you've got it. And on March 7th, 2021, we moved in. And it was a children's theater, so there was tons of cleaning to do. And so we called it Operation Own It. And, and we just, people just owned it. They just started serving. We didn't, we didn't even have brooms. We spent all of our money on just getting here. So we didn't have brooms. So we had BYOB, bring your own brooms. And, and again, I just, I remember I was standing at the top of those stairs and I'm watching people carry their vacuums to church and, and like their pails of cleaning supplies. And again, that's just, that's who you guys are. Just like a people who are eager to do whatever it takes to just move the mission forward. 
And so as we moved in, we just kept pressing into the priority of prayer. Now that we didn't have to rent space, we could just meet whenever we wanted. We're like, let's do, let's pray in the middle of the night. So we started the, the night watch, a prayer gathering that starts at midnight. I hated it. <laughs> and, and God loved it. Because the same year we started the night watch was the year we grew by 300% and moved from one service to three. God was just blessing us. And so we just pressed more and more into our fourth pillar, the pillar of unashamed worship. From the beginning, we, we wanted God's greatest passion to be this church's greatest passion. God's greatest passion is the white-hot worship of his son. And so this church's greatest passion should be the white-hot worship of Jesus Christ. When we look to Revelation, we, what we see, what's the centerpiece? What's the whole point of everything that's happening in heaven? It's the worship of Jesus Christ. So what should be the centerpiece of vertical church? It's the worship of Jesus Christ. And because we're, we're like a Bible people, we're kind of the frozen chosen when it comes to worship. But what we've seen in the last five years more and more is that God is bringing us and making us into a people who bring truth and spirit together. He's looking for people who worship him and spirit and truth. And guys who are like, I only raise my hands when I'm hanging drywall and doing shoulder press are now like <laughs> worshiping the Lord. Every week, increasingly, he's cranking up the dial as we see spirit and truth come together. People aren't holding back like we used to. People don't need three songs to warm up anymore. People don't care who's leading or what songs we're singing. We just want to worship Christ. Why do I share all this? Because, guys, this is how the Lord has carried us. This is our story. Just elements of ours. There's so much more to tell. But remembrance of past grace gives us confidence in future grace. See, I, I really believe in my bones that we haven't seen anything yet. I think the first five years of Vertical Church was just the Lord making us weak enough to be used. Just embarrassing us enough so that when, he, when something awesome happens, He will get the glory and He will share it with no one else. He fought before us, guys, on the cross. So He's going to fight for us again in 2024. He carried us before. He's going to carry us again. Let's zoom into you now. How about you? How have you seen the Lord carry you? Do you see it? Verse 31, as a man carries his son. I'm a man with a couple of sons who are of carrying age, and I can tell you it's not their grip on me that means anything. It's my grip on them. Christian, it's not your grip on God that makes the difference. Praise God. As I went through my journals, it, they are schizophrenic. It's like one day it's, Lord, you're so close. I love you. I can feel, oh my, this is revival. Next page. I feel like you've been gone for months. It's like, <laughs> it's like one day difference, man. It's not my grip on God that makes the difference. It's God's grip on me. Maybe right now in life, you are just neck deep in anxiety. Maybe you're in a super dry place. Maybe you have backslidden into some all too familiar sins. 
God brought you to church today to say, hey, remember. Remember. Do you remember those anxieties you had five years ago? No, you don't, because I dealt with them. Do you remember that? Deliverance will come. Times of refreshing will come. If you you talk to an older sage who's been following the Lord, he or she will tell you, yeah, there's a lot of following Jesus that's in the dry place, but times of refreshing always come. Deliverance from sin, victory from sin, it will come. How can we be so confident? Because he's the one who's fighting for us. And if he fought for us before, he'll fight for us again. If he carried us before, he'll carry us again. And, And notice where he carries us, guys. All the way you went until you came to this place. If God brought you to it, God will bring you through it. You being in the place you are at work, the place you are at church, the place you are in your spiritual growth, you're there because God brought you there, that place. And if he brought you to it, he's going to carry you through it. Where are you right now? Like, look at where we are right now. The fact that you are in a church right now, a gospel-proclaiming church, is empirical evidence that God is still carrying you, no matter how far away he feels today. The fact that you are, let that little red chair just preach to you. God is carrying me. Oh my gosh, why am I in church right now? Because God carried you. And God is carrying you. The Lord has brought us to this place because he loves us. The Lord has brought us to this place, and what a place this place is. For every one of us, this morning, this morning could be like one of the moments in our stories. This morning could be the morning where it's like, yeah, that's when God woke me up from my slumber. That's when God got me off my heels and back on my toes again with some holy swagger and some fresh faith. That's when God took me out of those backslidings that I had been in for years and said, follow me into holiness. You're going to be a lot happier. The Lord has brought us to this place, you guys. This is where he's carried you. He's fought for you on the cross. He'll fight for you in whatever he has for you this week. God guaranteed He's carried you through every wilderness so far. He's never dropped you, and he never will. So the charge this week is to remember. Instead of just trying to keep your head above the present, anchor down in some past glories. Remember God's faithfulness to you. Like really specifically, maybe you write out three or four or 50 stories of God's faithfulness to you. Not, nothing does, not, doesn't have to be epic. Whose life is epic? It's small victories, small ways that God's just, he's carried me. And then tell yourself and retell yourself and retell yourself these stories over and over and over. And one day you're going to be an old grandma or an old grandpa telling those same stories. There goes grandpa again. Tell him the day, tell him about the day he got saved. We've heard this a hundred times, Grandpa. That's right. There's Grandma again telling us that story about when she was fresh out of money and she got that gift out of nowhere. 
There's grandpa again telling us just story after story after story. God's people are a storytelling people. Your homework is to go gather up your greatest hits, his greatest hits, and then let your faith just feed on his faithfulness to you in the past. If you're anxious, if you're afraid, remember. Because remembrance of past grace gives confidence in future grace. Let's pray.